Welcome to the Orchard Podcast with Amy and Rachel Hughes. You're about to listen to episode five, Jesus Meets Martha. This episode was recorded at Wildfires Festival, and we're joined by author and theologian, Dr. Lucy Pepiet. We're about to jump into the first question. We hope it encourages you. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here with you guys. Um, yeah, so I was started to study theology um, in my 30s. Uh, because I was preaching quite a lot and I uh, was sort of convicted really that I didn't think I knew enough uh, when I heard other people teaching and I thought if I'm going to preach I need to learn. So I, so I started my theological journey in my 30s while I was bringing up my children and then that took me into a PhD in systematic theology which is Christian doctrine and um, probably about the beginning of that or at some point um, I, I so I wanted to just sort of be a theologian really in the church and um, to serve and I felt God speaking to me about speaking out about women in the church and uh, I didn't want to do that because I thought I don't want to be one of those kind of women and you'll probably understand that. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, um, but it was a very clear call. And anyway, I went on to write my PhD, which had nothing to do with women. And then I got my job at WTC, and I was the principal of a college and realized that evangelicals had a lot of issues around women. And um, as a scholar, I couldn't just sit there and sort of say, well, I don't do that. You know, I don't, I don't really have a lot of sophisticated answers for that. And so I felt as a, a female Christian and a scholar that um, I realised there was an enormous amount of pressure both from God and from the world I lived in um, to do my own research. And so that's what I started to do. And as I did it, I think I had all had a, well, I'd been brought up in a, in a home where there'd been absolutely no hint of any difference between the men and the women in terms of what they could do or how God saw them. Or, and my husband was the same. And all our church context really had endorsed that for me. And then as I came to the scriptures, sort of in earnest and as a scholar, um, I saw nothing in the scriptures that talked um, about any God-ordained submission of women. And so I wrote about that. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and in many ways, what we want to do now is apply some of that learning to the con a specific bit in scripture. Mm. Um, and as we said at the beginning, we're doing this podcast series and each episode we're taking on a, a, a Jesus encounter. So the, the series is called Jesus Meets. And we've been looking at these encounters that Jesus has with different women in the gospels. And it's been, it's been super oh, like exciting and edifying and encouraging just to realize again how Jesus 
treats, empowers, dignifies women mm. in the Bible 2,000 years ago in a, you know, in a culture that was vastly, vastly different to our own in, in the status of women. And so uh, we're, we're going to be looking at Martha this morning. Uh, love Martha. Actually, I was thinking, I relate to Martha. I feel like I am a Martha. We, we were laughing because I'm Martha and Amy's Mary. So like we walked into the tent this morning and Amy's like, oh, what do, you do, what do you sense like God is doing? What do you sense God is saying? And I'm like, are the chairs right? We need to get the chairs sorted. Is the sound all right? Is everything? And she, he's like, yeah, no, 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 I know. But, you know, do, do you sense what God's saying? Like, we just need to worship Jesus. I, I know, but are the chairs arranged? Is everything organized? So I'm, I'm Martha. Amy's Mary. It's probably, I don't know, but... That's very kind. Well, I, but, but I love Martha. But Martha is amazing. And so we're going to jump in looking at Martha. And so just to bring a little bit of context, um, we meet Martha three times. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we meet Martha three times, Luke 10, John 11, John 12. And some of these, I'm sure, these, these moments will be really familiar to you. Um, but just to remind you, we meet Martha in Luke 10, and it's the iconic moment where Jesus and the disciples have come to their home. So Martha lives with her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus, and Jesus has come with the disciples. And uh, Martha's like busy getting all things ready, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. We're not going to talk about that, even though that is amazing, but that's for another episode. Um, it's Martha that we're interested in in this moment. And she's like, uh, Lord, can you, you know, can you sort my sister out, basically? She's, he says, uh, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. And Jesus is like, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will be not, not be taken away from her. Then we jump to John 11, and again, it's the, uh, the well-known bit where Lazarus has died, and Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, and he's, you know, he's um, in a different part of, you know, geographically in a different place, and they're like, our brother is, is dying, we need you to come, and Jesus doesn't come. Uh, and so then we read that Jesus comes a couple of days later. And again, there's this, this amazing dialogue moment between Jesus and Martha. And Martha's like, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha answers, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Is what Jesus says to Martha. And she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Uh, and then Jesus has this moment with Mary and then Jesus raises Lazarus from the tomb. And I love it. Again, Martha, ever the practical one. She's like, ah, he's been in that tomb for four days. Have you not thought this through, Jesus? Like, it's going to stink. And Jesus is like, it's okay. I've got this, Martha. Um, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And then Jesus rises Lazarus from the dead. And then we jump to John 12. 
And Martha is also in this scene, and it's the moment six days before the Passover, and it, again, an iconic moment where Mary, her sister, pours the perfume, anoints Jesus' feet with this perfume, uh, and Martha's there uh, in that moment serving, we're told. And so we're going to explore these three questions in the context of those three encounters. Uh, and the three questions we're going to look at are, what do we learn about her? And this is where we're looking to Lucy to bring some real flesh to the bones here, to, to give us a deeper understanding of these encounters. What do we learn about Martha? Bearing in mind, again, the, the context, the cultural cult context uh, at that time. Uh, and then we're going to ask, well, what do we learn about Jesus? What does this tell us about Jesus, the way he interacts with her? And then finally, what do we learn about ourselves? So that's the plotted journey. And then we're going to pray for one another. And so let's jump into that first question. Hopefully that has set the scene for us. So, Lucy, um, what do we learn about Martha from these three encounters? I think um, one of the places I want to start, and this ties in with the whole question of women, how women are taught the Bible and how women read the Bible. And one of the things that I noticed is that we miss things because there are certain assumptions that function before we even come to the text. And one of the things that I realized, so I, I started my studies in 1 Corinthians 11, 2 to 16, and um, one of the things that I realized after reading many, many, many commentaries was how quickly people assumed that women were a problem. And I was really shocked by that, by the prevalence of that that there was a sort of assumption that women needed to be corrected. And actually, I think this is a play when we read the story of Martha and Mary, because um, in one sense, that potentially we, we see a rebuke in, in this story of Jesus, who um, says to Martha, um, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Ouch. Yeah. You know, and you feel it. You're like, oh, Jesus, don't be mean. You, she's doing your food, you know. But so we have a kind of assumption, a narrative that, well, of course, Jesus is telling her off because she didn't, wasn't doing the right thing. And I would like to um, just push that aside for a minute and um, say, why don't we come to the text from a different place and remember that Jesus and Martha were very, very, very good friends. Yeah. They were really close. And there's a clue that they were very close in the text because, and the text tells us that, so we're not making it up um, because Luke tells us that it was Martha that welcomed him into her home. So it's Martha's home. She's the head of this home. I actually think Martha was the eldest. We don't know out of the siblings with Martha, Lazarus, and Mary who was the eldest, but I'm pretty sure it must have been Martha because otherwise Luke wouldn't have said, otherwise it would have been Lazarus who'd welcomed. So already Luke's... Um, 
Luke is subverting a patriarchal narrative here by saying it was Martha who welcomed him into her home. And he's just telling this story right after the Jesus teaching about sending out 72. And he says, go to people's homes, and if they welcome you, stay with them. So she's like the model disciple because she's there saying, oh, Jesus, come in. I'll take you in. Jesus, I think, stayed in Bethany. Whenever he went to Bethany, he would have stayed with the, with the Martha family. And they were great friends of his. So, and, and then the other clue that they are great friends is because she appeals to him to talk to her sister. So, because he's her friend. You know, Jesus, please, can he help? And he uses that as a moment, I think there, there is so many astonishing things in this story, which again we miss if we come to the story thinking this is about two sisters who are having a Barney and they're trying to get Jesus to sort them out. And I, you know, there are so many narratives that I think you'll be familiar with that when you, you hear and you think, yeah, I, I thought the story was about that. It's not about that. The story's about these two sisters who are very close to the Lord and they relate to him in different ways, which is exactly what we see in John 11 as well and in John 12. So, so this, I see this as an interplay between two very good friends. And Jesus is, it, it's actually an invitation to Martha. It's an invitation to her. It's, it's saying, look, I know, I know you're worried. I know you've got things on your mind. I, I know where you're at. But you could sit too. <laughs> you, could, you could be there. Your sister's okay with it. I'm okay with it. You can come be a disciple in this way as well. Well, even the fact that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet is is pretty controversial, isn't it? Mm. Again, it's Jesus saying, empowering Mary, that even though she's chosen to do something that's a social taboo, it's saying, Martha, no, you, you could also do this, right? You could also subvert culture and mm. come and be a disciple as well, which is amazing, actually, isn't it, that Jesus would do that? And also, as the man, not saying, oh, yes, can you serve us? Exactly, yeah. So I think there's many wonderful things going on in the story, which we'll miss if we come with our preconceptions. Amazing. So moving on then to, I mean, what we've loved so much, haven't we, going through these women is honestly what we've learned about Jesus. Mm. You know, the ways, yeah, like you're saying, that he dignifies and upholds and pulls out and you know it makes me emotional thinking about it because it has been such a beautiful journey to learn more about the character of Jesus and how he sees women so can you how what do we learn about Jesus in this particular all these three interactions like what does it say about him um, in this situation I I see different things. Well, there's, so there's the Lucan story of Martha and Mary, and then and then John. Should we go to John? Yeah. Um, so John 11 is a 
I think it's just such a powerful interaction between um, especially Martha and Jesus. Um, And I think it's it's just one story. There are many stories of Jesus speaking with women uh, very intimately. The woman at the well, obviously, is another one. Um, And the fact that he was willing to confide in women and to explain to women who he was. And really, um, one of the most powerful things that comes out... So so in John 11, Martha and Mary are grieving. and I mean, it's an awful story. It's so sad. You know, they've lost their brother and... um, And what's amazing is they both say exactly the same thing to him. Lord, if you had been there, this, if you'd come, you know, and and they'd sent word for him and he hadn't come. So the sense of betrayal must have been very deep as well. And I think that's why Mary didn't go. I, I think she was just, it was too much for her to face him. So she stays at home. But Jesus is arriving. They know he's coming and. I actually think Martha's very courageous to go and face him. Um, and, and then also tells him off, you know. So Jesus takes it. I mean, the fact that this is where we see their friendship, that first of all, she's asked him to, to do something for her, you know, in her own home. And, and, and then when he's coming, she goes straight out to him and she's, she tells him off, you know, what on earth were you doing? Why didn't you come and save him? And, and so that tells us something about him. The fact that these women were so comfortable with him that they could, they weren't scared of him, <laughs> they were just able to talk to him like a friend. Um, and then they have this extraordinarily intimate exchange where um, he... So, so uh, let me just find where where she comes in. Um, so Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went and met him while Mary stayed at home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But then says to him, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. So she makes an amazing declaration of faith to him. Um, And he says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know that he'll rise again in in the resurrection on the last day. And then he claims that reality for himself. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's astonishing when you think how famous that claim is. I'm the resurrection and the life. It's said at every funeral, and these were the words that were spoken only personally to Martha. I mean, that is amazing, isn't it? It wasn't to the crowds, it wasn't to the disciples, it wasn't on the cross. It was, you know, this is a personal exchange with her, and it is one of the greatest declarations of the Godhead of Jesus. And she, um, and, and then 
he says to her, this is in her grief. And he says to her, do you believe this? You know, and she's angry with him. And uh, she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. It's just incredible. And, and I think that that shows us something deep about Martha and deep about Jesus. So to my mind, they were in a strange way more intimate than Jesus and Mary. Although Mary has this different temperament, you know, where she's, all the emotions are out there. And I, I think Martha is a much more controlled person, which is why she could go and meet him and Mary couldn't. And then Mary comes out and um, because Martha goes to get her and says, you know, basically you need to come now. So, um, so she goes. So I think, I think these two stories tell us something about both of them, which are just wonderful. So I guess my question then would be, in light of that, in light of the fact that Martha has total confidence to go and speak so directly to Jesus in, in a public space, mm. which again would have been potentially culturally risky, controversial, I don't, I don't know. How do you then, and I know we've only got a limited time and you've written books on this, but how do you then marry that up with Paul's letters? How do you marry that up with some of those really potentially difficult passages in Scripture, Corinthians, Timothy, where what can be interpreted is, and it, it, the words are there, women be silent. You've got, you've got, on the one hand, you've got Jesus, king of the universe, you know, Messiah, saviour, and you've got Martha who just freely speaks to him, speaks her mind, speaks openly in a public space, and then flick a few pages further, a few chapters, you know, a few books on in the Bible, and you, you've got what seems like this instruction that is silencing women. How do you marry those two up? How do we, how do we get our heads around that as women? You, you have to do your own reading. You have to do your own work and your own homework. I've done my homework and I've written it down for everybody so they can answer. That's a, that's a complex question that requires yes. a complex answer. And the answer is that the whole Bible, and that's why I said in the beginning, and when I say things like, there is no narrative of a God-ordained submission of women to men in the Christian scriptures, people want to know, why does she think that? Why, why do I think that's true? I know that's true because I've studied the scriptures and church history and the meaning of the text, and that's true. But you, you can't go around saying, oh, Lisa Bebbia thinks. You, you have to know why that's true. And the only reason you're going to be able to work out why it says this here and that there and why that there doesn't negate this here is when you do your own work. Chal challenge accepted. <laughs> challenge accepted. No, I mean, I have. No, 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 I know you have. Well, but but I'm just saying, 
you won't get the answer out of me in five minutes. No, but I think that's <laughs> I think that's really I was I was hoping that you might give us like a two-minute synopsis, but fair enough. Because actually you're right. I, I knew for me uh, I, not it wasn't in my my plan, my sort of life plan to to preach or to to teach in a, in, a, in a church context. I never wanted to work for church. I was in the media, I worked for the BBC, I loved it. And then God called me to work for the church. And it was a bit like you, we grew up in a family where our parents were like, the sky's the limit, you know. There was no, there was no difference. We've got two brothers as well. It was just like, you run after the dreams that God has placed in your heart. And so it was only for me actually, when I stepped into a church context that I was like, oh, what, I, I can't go into that meeting because I'm a woman, what? I can't do that role because I'm a woman. It was so weird for me. And, and then God started to open up these opportunities for me to, to, to preach and to teach. And again, I was aware of these factions of the church that, that categorically interpreted that as wrong. You know, I was, I was going against scripture, scripture instruction and so I, I really needed to understand it. I mean, I, I haven't got lots of degrees and I haven't got a doctorate, but I, I, I really needed to understand it for myself. And so again, just to add to Lucy's homework instruction, I think we need to do this. As women, if we, if we wanna be women who lead the way in bringing liberation, we, we need to understand. We need to understand scriptures for ourselves. Love it. There was, so I wanted to bring out just on Martha, because we haven't gone to John 12, which I think is really interesting because we looked at Luke 10, uh, where Martha's serving and wants Mary to serve. And um, here in John, John says, Martha served. There they gave a dinner for him, Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. With no judgment there, there's not a, you know, Oh, Martha was doing the wrong thing while Mary was worshipping Jesus. But it's so fascinating here that a second gospel writer brings out the difference between these two sisters, and there's Martha serving. And I was just thinking about it because I knew we were going to talk about it, and I was thinking, but serving is a deeply Christian principle, and Jesus serves, Jesus talks to his disciples in Luke 22 and says, you know, who's greater, the one who sits at the table, the master or the one who serves? Clearly the one who's sitting at the table, reclining. So Lazarus is behaving like a man, (laughs) Martha's serving, and then Mary comes and does this amazing thing. But Jesus says, but I'm among you as one who serves. And then I was thinking about Acts 6, where the apostles, the, the um, Hellenistic Jews are getting upset because the Hebraic, um, sorry, the, the, yes, the Hellenistic Jews are being sidelined um, because the Hebraic Jews are being prioritized, the widows, so the women are being looked after differently. And what they decide is to appoint seven men to serve the widows. That, we don't talk about that very much. Seven men are chosen to do the serving. And because the other apostles say, well, we, why should we serve at tables? Because we're supposed to be out preaching the word. So we'll get some men to serve at the tables. 
and then some men doing the preaching. Um, but in church life, it's the women who serve, but the men were serving. And Stephen was appointed as the kind of head person and becomes the first Christian martyr. So Stephen's a hero, and Stephen is serving widows at tables, following Jesus, because Jesus served at tables. So Martha, so there's nothing inherently wrong with Martha serving. Do you, see, do you see what I mean? I'm just kind of looking at this and thinking, we just need to be careful what we're bringing to this text. And is it, is it again, thinking about that moment where Jesus says Mary has chosen what is better, is it also perhaps helpful to think that actually almost Jesus' objective is to value what Mary is doing not to devalue what Martha is doing. Does that make sense? Yes, that exactly makes Almost sense. actually, what Martha is doing is already acceptable. Exactly. Like, that's just the norm. And yes. so, in a sense, he needs to rebuke Martha to lift up and value, mm. place value on what Mary is doing specifically, which is so helpful for us now as well, isn't it, right? Because exactly. And I, I, don't, th- I don't think it, it's the... I don't think it's the serving that's the problem. I think it's the worry. Yeah. I think it's the worry, you know, that she's fretting. And she's bringing her fretting to Jesus. And I think that's probably the... You're looking at me, you're looking at me. Write that one down. (laughs) Um, We wonder, we've got a few minutes left, haven't we? Obviously... um, we can apply so much of this to ourselves. But one of the things that, just as you were speaking, that sort of even was highlighted as you were speaking is this idea of um, we just see how honest she is with Jesus, you were saying, and, and so raw. Mm-hmm. And I see, um, you know, pastoring people, how it's hard for people to be really honest in mm-hmm. prayer, really honest with Jesus. Can you just speak into that a little bit more? Like, what is it? What are we? What holds us back from being as honest as Mary and Martha? Mm. Um, and then, how can you? How could we be encouraged um, to move forward? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. I one of the things that I hear, or I notice a lot, um, especially I think with evangelical women, but maybe it's across the board for Christian women, is. A, a worry about their value to God and um, I think that the the damaging narratives of women just being a little bit below men or a lot below depending on where you've come from um, it's so insidious and damaging and I think that honesty before God comes when we know how much he loves us <laughs> and how much he values us. You know, if you, if you really, really think you can't do anything wrong, well, you've done everything wrong anyway. You know what I mean? You've done that and you're going to do it. And he knows that. So if, if the truth of your forgiveness has sunken in and the the reality of grace, which I, I don't think I've learned. I don't, sometimes I think I haven't even begun to understand the depth of what grace means in my life. But 
when those things, when we know those things, we know we're coming to a father who loves us. And if we know we're coming to a father who loves us and the son who gave his life for us and the spirit who lives in us and is going to help us every single step of the way and never leave us and never forsake us and the truths of God are written into our hearts, then the honesty, there won't be anything else but honesty because we know who we're coming to. So I would say... The, and this is why I love doctrine. I love teaching doctrine because it's all about who we think God is. It's all about God's nature, who we think God is and how he works in the world. And if, if that's all we dwell on through the scriptures, um, it will bring us to wholeness. You know, good theology will heal you. Do you know, just one, one last thing and then we're, we're going to pray um it was actually something that we both struck us when we we had a conversation with you a few weeks ago because in some ways i guess the 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 oppression of women not just in the church but but globally in many ways and we see this across different lines not just gender lines but there can be like a power struggle you know can't there and there can be like and we see this in some, some parts of feminism, the way that it's expressed, sort of almost like this militant redressing of power. You know, we've got to get the power back. We need the power back. And whilst, I mean, you can probably tell, uh, it's, it, it runs deep within my veins, this desire to see women empowered. At the same time, I also have to hold on to the fact that Jesus models power in a completely upside down. And it's Amy's picture of the weak army. You know, that, that it's this sense that we are commissioned, we're empowered, but Jesus models the laying down of his life. You know, it's the, it's, it's the lion and the lamb. It's the lamb that was slain. It's, what, what does that mean? And, and you used this phrase with us when we chatted. You said this is not about justice, it's about reconciliation in terms of men and women. Maybe just a, just a few sentences on that, because I think it's so important as women, as Christian women, to model power in a different way. Um, yeah, thanks. I, I was just saying to Amy before we started that I think it's really important to tease out two separate issues uh, that have a huge impact on women. And one is, is a justice issue uh, about the effects of, the, the damaging effects of global oppression of women through what we call patriarchy, which is male dominance. And that there are nations in this world where women are, you know, re legislated against, where they don't have access to education, uh, where they're excluded, where they are oppressed and um, abused. And those are justice issues. And men and women, and especially Christians, should be vocal and fighting on behalf of those women and the children affected. In the church, the church is mirroring, to some extent, the dysfunction of the world when it decides to subjugate women. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is a different message for women and for men. And it's a beautiful message. And it's something that the church has the opportunity to model 
is the healthy, whole, balanced, mutually empowering relations between men and women. In whether you're married or not married, doesn't matter, siblings, you know, colleagues, also husbands and wives, etc. And that looks like reconciliation. That looks like there's no bitterness between me and you. Because and and we'll get we I think we three in all in our own ways have experienced that in our lives. I think we are enormously privileged women. And I'm constantly grateful for that in my life, for the men who have given up places for me, who've, you know, championed me, who've put me forward. Um, and you can tell when women have had that in their lives. And I think that's what God wants for us, for, for the women and the men. But we have to lay down our weapons for that to happen. Um, and I believe it will. It is happening. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I don't know about you, but I've got a lot to take away from that. Can we just give Lucy a massive thank you?